Mark chapter 10, and we will start at verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You know, it's amazing to think that if a young man like this showed up in the average church, the pastor would be the first one there to greet him, seat him, and hope he sticks around. You're talking about vibrant youth. We're talking about someone that was polished and had standing in the community, someone with position, someone obviously that had money. You could tell, by the way, he parked his Maserati so carefully in the parking lot. Uh, This was a man that drew everyone's attention And on top of that, you would say he's searching, he's seeking, there's some spiritual zeal because he runs to Christ and he asks him. You you would think this this couldn't get any better. Can can you imagine if you're out on the street, you have tracts in your pocket, a Bible in your hand, and you have someone like this young man run up to you and then ask you this question. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You'd say, here we go. Look at this. Let's go right to the Romans road and get this taken care of. It looks like we got a possible candidate for a future pastor of the church. That's just not the way that Lord Jesus Christ dealt with it. He knows there is a root issue here that he has to deal with. And instead of taking him to the good news of the gospel, he takes him to the bad news, which is his sinfulness, because really the issue here is that very first word which causes confusion in our society. He asked him what? Good. Good. Our world is confused about good. There are churches. Religion is confused about good. Uh, People are convinced they are naturally good, and God uh, says man is naturally sinful, evil, wicked, bent toward all that which is wrong. So he's going to have to address his thinking, his misconceptions concerning good. Now, let me just say this before we get started. For those of you that are not familiar with Scripture, don't think for a second that God is a communist and believes in the redistribution of wealth. Right. 
God is not a socialist. He was not preaching what uh, Cuba has demanded, what Venezuela has enforced, and what America is racing towards. Not at all. He simply is trying to get this young man to understand his condition as a lawbreaker. Now, here's, here's what Christ says repeatedly in this text, verse 23. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? How many of you have come to that realization? It is difficult. You know where we normally go to evangelize in the poorer areas. I've traveled around the world in countries like Nicaragua and Venezuela and Malawi, Uganda, Zimbabwe. These are countries that are very receptive to the gospel because there is an extreme level of poverty and there is a desperation that leads man to look for answers outside of the typical places when family can't provide them answers, when the government can't provide them answers, uh, they finally begin to look in the right place, which is upward towards God and towards heaven. Because man in his pride, when things are going well, the last place he looks to is God or this book. But he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? Look what it says. He repeats it. The disciples are astonished at these words. And he says again, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Then he says in verse 25, a text that I've often heard pastors, when they come to something, instead of accepting God's word exactly for what it says, and church, let me just remind you this morning, I have nothing to say to you this morning, nothing. I came with nothing. You don't want to hear from Adam Thompson. We came to hear from God. Now, God has something to say to us. His word has something to say to us. We want to hear that. But instead of trying to explain this away, let's accept it exactly the way he taught it. Verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And some have said, well, you know, the gates back in the day were extremely small. And a camel would have to get down on its knees. No, 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 no. That's not what Christ was saying. You heard him right. Something that is absolutely humanly impossible. A camel, the eye of a needle. We struggle to thread a piece of thread. How, how many of you, if, if attempted and said, no, no, someone else with better eyes than me, you, you attempted to. We can't get a piece of thread through there. And he said it would be easier for a camel to make its way through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And here's how you know that there was no mistake in what he was teaching because they were what? Astonished. If they were talking about a camel getting on its knees to go through a gate, there would be no astonishment. They would say, we've seen that before. Camels get on their knees. People have trained them to do that. There's nothing impossible about that situation. But for a camel, if I told you, take that camel and put it through the eye of a needle, you would not even attempt. You say, Pastor, that's stupid, an idea that's impossible. Please tell me something that's logical. Ask me to do something that's possible. And when we're talking about the rich this morning, uh, reaching the rich, I, over the course of my ministry, have pastored very few that were rich. When we say that by American standards, we're all rich. You realize you are in the top 5% uh, 
of the world's wealthy when you consider the 8 billion people around the planet. We just don't do that. We look at Circle C or Westlake or find someone that is on a higher level than us. But when we're talking about the super wealthy, uh, in Mexico, we pastored several millionaires. And God allowed us to reach those people. But every one that we reached in our ministry was at a point of crisis. One of those men walked into our church drunk, having twice attempted to commit suicide. His life was falling apart. His marriage was falling apart. His business was falling apart. That We reached the owner of Totis in Mexico, which basically would be Dorito or Frito-Lay here in the United States of America. Had 1,200 employees there in Mexico City. But because of attempts, kidnapping attempts, uh, on his family, he was driven to a point of mental, emotional exhaustion in reaching out to God. I had a psychologist that we reached for our ministry in Mexico. And you say, can a psychologist be a Christian? Nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, I would say no. But this was the rare exception understanding the gospel, he gave his heart and life to Jesus, and here's what he'd do. He began passing out my sermons on the home to these families, rich families that were coming to him, and he'd tell them, uh, if you don't believe in the Bible, uh, you don't have to read the text, but at least listen to the principles. And through those, he said, after four or five sessions with these families, he'd say, you need to talk to my therapist. And then he'd have them call me. You say, are you a therapist? I am a Bible believer. And if someone wants to call me a therapist, whatever. If you give me the opportunity to witness, amen, under the pretense of being a therapist, I'll do that as well. But through that, we were able to reach people with money. But in each one of those cases, it was because there was someone that had given up hope in their riches. The Bible says Christ here clarifies what he was talking about. He said it's not the money, but the trust in the money. And when people reach a point of desperation where they stop trusting in their money, now you have an open door to get them the gospel and to see them saved. But here's what he said. Go back to the text right before we start in verse 17. Go all the way back with me to verse 13 for just a minute. They brought young children to him that he should touch them. His disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, displeased with the disciples. And he said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. Now look what it says. From such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Now, it's easier for a child to get saved because you have simple faith and extreme humility. You haven't developed that natural tendency of pride. It, it hasn't taken years in its development. And uh, that's why I believe it's so important to reach children. That's why we have children's ministries and, and youth camps. That's why we have Vacation Bible School and Teen Connection and all these ministries. Because if you get a child the gospel and they come to a clear understanding and Holy Spirit conviction, I'm not in a hurry to rush a child into a profession of faith. But I do believe this. How many of you are here were saved as a child or a teenager? Let me, let me see. Raise your hand. If you're, that's the majority that are sitting here. You know why? That's when 
we are the most tender and receptive and easy to believe, but as man grows older, he becomes more pessimistic, self-reliant, and instead of coming with nothing in our hands, we come with a belief in ourselves. And here's what this young man did. He was coming believing that what he was doing or the life he was living merited a good life. He's drawn to Jesus, but he's wrong in his thinking. He thinks he's the captain of his own soul. He thinks he's going to be, as a ruler, he's going to rule his own destiny, be the master of his own destiny. And Christ is going to interrupt that because when it comes to eternity, no religion, no man makes the rules. Isn't it amazing when you talk to people? It's like they've already determined in their head what God has to accept concerning their eternal destiny. So I've already determined that I am the standard and I should be fine and I'm going to let God know that I should be fine and he'll accept me as I am because others do. And we've established our own rules and standards for the definition of good. Now, when he said, what shall I do? He's saying, it's up to me. And maybe God can help me in this. You know what religion has done? Religion has told man, you believe in God, and then you finish the work. What Christ did on the cross was not sufficient. You're going to have to add a payment of baptism. You're going to have to add a payment of going to church. You're going to have to add this payment and that payment. But whatever the case, religion is going to throw the burden upon man. And whatever Jesus started, you're going to have to finish through good works. And this is the philosophy that this young man is bringing to the table. Now, here's the issue. The issue is not money. The issue is what? Pride. The, the root issue here is pride. Now, regrettably, in an auditorium like this, with as many people, there are people here that have never been born again, and the root issue is the same. It's pride. Until there's an immense that God sets the rules, and God, through his word, has determined how to get to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Man has been convinced through religion and through tradition and through self-exaltation that I'm going to do something ultimately that will make God smile. You can do nothing to make God smile in your fleshly endeavor. So here he comes. He says, good master. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now, he's trying to emphasize two things here to this young man. Number one, that there's no man on the earth that's good. He doesn't fall on no man. Even if he's religious, even if he's a, a spiritual teacher, even if he's a ruler of a synagogue, even if he's a doer of miracles, there is no one on the earth in their DNA, there's a sin nature, so that does not classify any man is good, except God. So are you accepting the fact that I'm God in the flesh? So there's dual purpose here in his response. Number one, there's no man that's good. And he's pointing the finger at this man, trying to destroy his self-reliance, but also he's trying to say, if you're calling me good master, are you accepting the fact that I am God in the flesh? Now, I want to say a couple things here about pride. Number one, 
Pride will keep you from seeing yourself as you truly are. That's a hellbound sinner. And here's why it's so difficult to reach someone with money, trusting in money, because over the course of their life, they've made good decisions. Now, he, he didn't make uh, money by doing the wrong thing. And let me just throw this in there as well. Just because you have money doesn't mean God has smiled on you. They're crack dealers. I, I lived in Mexico for nine years. There's a lot of craziness that's taking place in Mexico right now with the narcos. They're not blessed because of the vehicles they're driving in or the mansions they're living in. So don't think for a second the money has made you special in the eyes of God. But here's what happens. When you begin to make money, the more self-reliant, self-dependent, and uh, the more you consider yourself to be successful, the easier it is to trust in those things and less and less. Why, why should I look to God? I'm already successful without God. Why do I need God? My marriage seems to be in order. My finances seem to be in order. Uh, my retirement's in order. I've got the respect of the community. I've got a position in my company. So why in the world? And here's what was happening. Jesus Christ is going to address his pride by saying, you don't even see yourself as you truly are a sinner. We classify ourselves, we put ourselves in different groups. Worse, better, richer, poor. We do this in all of life. And here's what God does. He classifies us in two groups. Save sinner, unsaved sinner. That's it. You're all sinner. We're all sinners. But you're either saved, born again, forgiven, made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Or unsaved, unrighteous, unforgiven, by your rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what Christ is trying to do. He's trying to get past his pride and help him understand his condition. Now today in this hot storm, we got two groups of people. Sinners that have realized their condition and cried out to God for mercy and been saved. Or sinners that have convinced themselves, I'm not that bad. I'm going to strive to be better. I'm going to fulfill the requirements of this religious organization. And at the end of the day, God's going to overlook my shortcomings and say, you're okay, come on in. That's self-deception. And that's why he has to confront this rich young ruler. That's why I'm shocked that he didn't give him a second chance. I, he's going to confront him. So he, he says, now here's what he does. The first thing he does, he brings out the Ten Commandments. He skips right down. There are ten, but he skips to the last five. We start with number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's going to address that last. So he's going to go right to the murder. These are the ones that we, that we think we're innocent of disobeying. I, I have not broken the command. I've, I've never killed anyone. And then the problem is, the New Testament amplifies the meaning of thou shalt not kill. And 1 John tells us, he that hateth his brother. I don't have any brothers. I've never hated my brother. That anger that we find in our hearts, that uh, some of you have committed murder on I-35. You speed up, start weaving through traffic. 
that poor lady that accidentally cut you off just trying to exit and call her husband and get to a safe place while your road rage is out of control? <laughs> we don't like to classify sin as God classifies sin. Pastor, I've never committed adultery, but the Bible says in Matthew 5, he that looketh on a woman to lust after her in his heart. Is, yeah, so anybody here want to stand up and say, I'm, I'm innocent of any adultery? That's what this, this young man was claiming when confronted with the Ten Commandments, he looked at the five that were mentioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, oh, boy, from my youth, it was yes, sir, no, sir, honor my parents. I'm pretty much the perfect guy in flesh. Hey, shake my hand, because you just met a sinless, nearly sinless. That's what he was saying when he said, from my youth. Now, I've known most of you from your youth. So if you came to me, I would shut that down right away. My memory's bad, but it's not that bad. I do work in the school. I do teach in the college. No one here that I know can say from my youth, but I guess he could because he didn't have his family standing around to confront him with his lie. But here's what this is. There's a lot of pride here in thinking I... I don't need any additional help because I've already obeyed the law. So here's what Christ is going to do. He wants to establish the fact that he is a lawbreaker. No one here, if this is your first time to read this text or hear this text, there should be no confusion with what Christ is teaching. He's not teaching salvation by keeping the law. He's not teaching that going to heaven is dependent upon you selling everything that you have, distributing it to the poor and following Christ, or everyone in here is hell bound. Because I've seen your houses, your cars, and your clothes. Is, is there someone I'm missing this morning that you've sold all to follow Christ? That's not the teaching of Scripture. Here's what he's trying to get him to do. Look what it says, verse 19. He's trying to get him to understand he's not as good as he thinks. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered in this self-exaltation and hypocrisy and says, Master, all of these have I observed. Now, this man that looked like such a good candidate, as soon as he says this phrase, I would be backing up. Then, okay, we got a problem because that's a bold and blatant lie for any, and I've known some really good people over the course of my life, but I don't know anyone that can make that statement. But he says, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. One simple little thing. Now, once again, don't be confused. Look what Christ says. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, Give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up thy cross, and follow me. Now, is that the way for man to inherit eternal life? No. no. Why would Christ say that? Because the first commandment is, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Have no other gods before me. Right? Now, here's the problem. He's put a God above the God, which is money. So he's trying to get the point across to this rich young ruler. You said you haven't broken any of the commands. Let's start with the first one. You've broken the first one. And I'm going to prove it. Because if I would have just asked you, well, what about the first five? You would have said, well, I've kept those for my youth as well. So let's get more specific. 
If you don't think that you have any other gods above him, go take all of your riches, sell it, and follow Christ. Do you understand what he's trying to address here? He's trying to get him to understand you're not as good as you think you are. And when we talk about the rich, it's not the issue, not the money. The issue is the pride behind it. And God has to address pride before man can get born again. There's got to be humility and honesty. And pride will keep you from understanding and seeing yourself as you really are. Because it doesn't matter who sits in this auditorium, what your background is, what your upbringing is. I don't care if you were born in it. They're raised in a Catholic home or Methodist home or Baptist home. I don't care how strict your parents were. If you never smoked, you never drank, you never chewed, you never went with girls that did. doesn't matter. At some point, you have broken the law of God in coming to terms with the fact that God's not overlooking that because someone else does. And pride, pride has sent so many to hell. Sat in church pews, heard the gospel, and said, I'm not going to respond to that because there has, here's what pride says, there has to be a work involved. There has to be a demand that I must meet. Salvation can't be that simple. It can't just be repentance and faith in God. If it were that simple, you would have already done it. It's not simple because it demands a humble heart and an honesty that says, I can do nothing that is acceptable to God concerning salvation. God knew that sin is son to die on the cross for me, paid for my sin. The pride of rejecting Jesus Christ and saying, I'm going to help him work out my salvation. And this is why the confrontation had to be made. This rich young ruler... As much as he had in his favor in Christ, he just looked at him and, and loved him and said, there's so much here and I want to help you on deliver your soul from hell. But there has to be a confrontation of your pride because you think all this is going to work out and all you have to do is check one more thing off the list. What can I do? What is left undone for me to do? And Christ said, no, it doesn't work that way. This isn't about baptism. This isn't about you joining our, our church group. This isn't about any of that. This is about you understanding your spiritual condition as a lost, condemned sinner. And then I want you to see, second of all, when he says, verse 18, Jesus said to him, white calls tell me good. There is none good but one, that is God. Pride will keep you from seeing Jesus who he really is, the only Savior. Jesus said, I am the way and the what? The truth, the life, and no man cometh unto the Father. But I mean, now if there was an understanding, let me ask you this. Would he have run up to Christ and said, good master? How many of you ever prayed that way? Oh, good master. No, you understand. This is about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now, now we do understand there was difficulty. We have something different in the sense that we have the written word of God. We're looking back 2,000 years in time. We, we read the gospels and understand he came, he shed his blood, he died on the cross. And three days later, he came out of the grave victorious. We have the scripture that says, not by works of righteousness, and for by grace he is saved through faith, not of works, lest what? Any man should both. We, we have the accumulated 
scripture in our favor and hindsight, he had none of that. But he was face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a, there is a misunderstanding here because he's looking at him as a, a simple teacher of the law. And a good one at that. But not the divine savior, the redeemer. The one that can literally right there face to face forgive him of his sins. And here's, here's what I'm amazed by. I, 15 years in Spanish-speaking countries, Argentina and Mexico, any false religion has made Jesus lesser than what God has established in Scripture as God in the flesh, the very Son of God, the Savior, the only Savior of mankind. And here's what pride will do. If you're adding anything to salvation, any work to salvation, you're saying Jesus is not enough. How blasphemous is that statement? To say Jesus is not sufficient, his blood shed is not enough. What he did on the cross for me, that's not going to save me. That's not going to rescue me. God's plan was all-encompassing and it was perfect. So if God sent his son and the blood was shed and three days later he came out of the the tomb, that's all that's needed. And here's the security that we have. Uh, We could take all morning and read Bible texts. We understand the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and there it is. What? Believeth in him and is baptized and performs a lot of good works, and goes to church. And There's no end there. Whosoever believeth in what? In him. And here was this rich man's problem. It was a belief in myself, a trust in his riches, and I'm doing good, and I'm going to believe in you, Jesus, is a good master, plus all these other things that I'm doing, and certainly this will get me into heaven. And this, this is man all across the United States sitting in churches this morning, What percentage of people sitting in church today will die and go to hell because they looked at Jesus Christ as insufficient? They didn't even understand who he was. It's Jesus and only Jesus and nothing else. Now, here's why Christ has to address his pride. The pride of man says, I'm not that bad. And this all sounds so blasphemous. I I struggle to think, but this is what man says. I'm not that bad. And Jesus is not all that. That is blasphemous. That's what religion has done, is place those thoughts in the hearts and minds of man. That is the deception of Satan. To think there's anything that we can do or to think that anything Jesus did was insufficient is absolute blatant pride that will send any man to hell. Here's what, here's what I've seen. Years ago, when we were in Mexico, uh, we had a building that was on a main street and I would often go in and out of the building and have tracks in my pocket for people that were coming by and just hand it to people and invite them into the church. And one day we saw a couple walking down the street arguing. I truly thought the argument was so extreme at the moment, I thought he was going to punch her. So I stood outside. It made me nervous. I don't, I don't want to get involved in this, but I certainly don't want to see this woman hurt. They're in their 60s. And as they got close enough, I stepped down to the street, handed a track uh, to the couple and said, listen, uh, I'm a counselor. 
And if you guys ever want any help, I wouldn't charge. Uh, here's my name and number. And I left them that information. They walked away, continued their fighting. And a couple of days later, they called me up. I was able to sit down and witness to them. We didn't know it at the time, but he was filthy rich. He had been kidnapped. And the house they invited me to was an extremely simple and poor looking, but he was doing all of this to fly under the radar to keep from being kidnapped again. But we were able to witness to him. And they came to church several services. And I went over to the house on a Tuesday night and witnessed to him again. And here's, here's what I told me. The world is full of evil people, Pastor. He told me about how he'd been kidnapped and the ransom that was paid and how he was thankful just to be alive. But I said, the problem is, we look at the rest of the world as evil, but at the end of the day, we're all sinful. Oh, no, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been a good person. I've helped my kids, and I've established businesses, and we've done this for the community. And I said, no, you need Jesus. And here, here's what he said. Pastor, I've been a Catholic all my life. I've gone through the classes. We got married in the church. I've been baptized as a baby. There is nothing more for me to do that's what religion is ingrained in the heads and the hearts. And when someone is that deceived, you, you have to take steps maybe that might seem extreme. And I've mentioned this before. This was one of two times I, I literally sat at that table and tried to get him to, his under, to, to come to the understanding of his need for Jesus Christ because whatever he, he had done was not sufficient. I said, so you, you don't feel like there's a need. He said, I believe in God. I trust in Jesus. I, I don't need any further steps than that. I said, then you're actually rejecting Jesus Christ as the only Savior by adding St. Jude and Mary and your good works and your baptism. That's a rejection of Jesus Christ as the only Savior. I said, or I want to pray with you. He said, absolutely. When I prayed, I prayed not to be mean, but Lord, uh, Salvador, tonight is rejecting you as the only Savior. And, and God, here's an old man with a bad heart. And God, if he's rejecting you as Savior and his desires to go to hell, I pray you put him on the next train. pray you give him a heart attack, take his very breath out of his lungs, and you ship him out tomorrow if, if he is that determined to go. Say, Pastor, why would you do that? When you're talking about a man at that age and stage of life, he needs something brutal enough to come to the conclusion, the reality that religion has lied to him. I left his house. He wasn't exactly happy. The next morning, my wife called me. said, Adam, we have people here at the house. I said, I I'm busy. I've got a point. She said, no, you don't understand. They're not leaving. I said, who are you talking about? He said, it's Salvador Susana. I said, really? He said, yeah, it sounds like he got pretty shook up last night. He didn't sleep, and he thought he was on the first train to hell, and he, <laughs> he decided he wanted, he wanted to talk a little bit more about this subject. Now, Salvador and Susanna got saved, and uh, we had an amazing experience after that. He said, Pastor, I want to take you uh, to lunch, and we drove way out in the country. He told me, a, he told me he had a ranch, and I'm thinking Mexico ranch, a couple, couple skinny cows and chickens running around. No, he took us to an hacienda like you see in the movies. 
And he showed us some of his businesses. And then he took us out to this ranch and he has all this equipment and house and the lake and everything else. He said, you want to catch some fish? You want to catch some chicken uh, for lunch? And I'm thinking, I don't got time to catch and kill a chicken and eat lunch. <laughs> he said, well, make it. He said, I got a drag now. We can drag the pond and catch some fish and eat that or we can catch a chicken. I said, let's just catch a chicken and be done with it. He said, come on in, we'll look for a, a knife to kill. We stepped inside the house, and here were two tables lined with food. It was like a feast. It was like the Last Supper. I mean, it was, it, Now, I didn't know when we met him, his wealth or his money, but here's what happened. He had to come to a crisis point in his life where he lifted his eyes off himself and his money. He opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel and his pride had to be confronted and that's not easy. It's not, what Christ was doing, this is a visual illustration for the disciples because we don't like confrontation and we'd much rather say, oh, praise the Lord, Pastor Robert, look at this rich young ruler that just came to join the church. You're saved, right, old buddy, old pal? <laughs> yeah, okay, thank God for that. And that's not what Christ does. Christ confronts his pride and says, in order to get to heaven, you've got to understand who you are and you've got to understand who Jesus is. And that takes humility. Now let's see the last thing and we're done. He said, verse 21, Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come take up your cross and follow me. Pride will keep you from seeing life as God meant it to be. Now, we're going to switch gears for a minute because this just doesn't deal with the unsaved. Now, this deals with the saved. So can I get everyone's attention? Those of you that faded out on me 20 minutes ago when we started talking to the unsaved, can I get you to come back because now I'm talking to you. Pride will keep you from seeing life. Well, Pastor, I understand the purpose of life. I've been saved, and I understand it's all about the eternal. Yeah, I know we say that, but do we actually believe it in our heart? What's our life showing? Is this life all about what is earthly, or is it all about what is heavenly, what is eternal? Here's what you've got to understand. Jesus is not going to use anybody that puts money above God. It's not going to happen. We live in American culture that sucks us into this philosophy. It chains us. It changes us, but it chains us into this pursuit of everything that is more and better and nicer and I've got to have and there's a constant comparison and I feel less if I'm with these people, I am less. So I've got to constitute a crowd that makes me feel better about what I own and what I have and my retirement account and the neighborhood that I live in. And even Christians are caught up in this pursuit of possessions in everything that is earthly and left behind. I've seen good people. I, I've told our young men, they're gonna come, there's going to come a point in life when you... Get in your 30s, 35, maybe 40. You're going to get in a company. You're going to have, have gone up the ladder enough that you finally found a company. And they're going to say, uh, listen, we see your potential. And uh, if, if you become our personal slave, we're going to promise you a boatload of money. And you're going to have to sell your soul. You're not going to be able to participate in ministry. You're not going to be able to give to missions. 
It's amazing that the same people that could tithe and give to missions when they're making $60,000 a year, now suddenly when they've doubled or tripled their money, can't afford to tithe, can't afford to participate in missions, can't afford to take a missions trip. They, they don't have time for ministry. They don't have time for soul winning. They've been swallowed up by the pursuit of more. And I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about good people, Cap City Baptist Church. Swallowed up. You, you don't have an inch of room to serve God because you're caught up serving that company. Now, this isn't about, he's not, he's not telling you, go sell what you have. He's saying, do you have possessions or do possessions have you? Are you serving mammon? Are you serving God? And it's easy. It is easy in 2022 in our culture, our culture of Christianity, which is a facade, to give the appearance that God is first, when in reality, money is number one. That doesn't mean that you're making $250,000 a year. It just means money has you. And you said, I'm going to live my life in the pursuit of more instead of saying, I'm going to live my life with the honor and glory of God in mind and the eternal always in view. Am I using this business for God? Am I channeling this money for the kingdom of heaven? Am no matter how much God gives me, I want to make sure that I maintain my priorities and not abandon my family and not abandon my responsibility of reaching the world and finding that balance. Most at 35 or 40 come to a crossroads in there like, you're not there yet, Crispy, because making 50 bucks right now is a big deal. But one of these days, a company's going to say, you're worth a lot of money, Sonny. <laughs> and you're going to say, about time you realize that. And if you work an occasional Sunday, and if you're willing to travel, and if you're willing to put your family in the back burner, and if you're willing to hide your Christian beliefs, you have an incredible future. In this world, in this environment, if you're a Christian, you are limited with how far you can go. Because they will demand your soul eventually they will demand your soul well i'm going to go into business all all for myself and then you'll demand your own soul for the sake of your company the temptation never goes away you're going to have to make a regular day. And the harder it gets, because right now you're not thinking about your retirement, but about the time you're, you're 45, you're, you're, if you don't think about it, your wife's going to help you think about it. <laughs> what are we going to have? Because our kids moved away and they don't think about us anyways. They don't even bring me a cake on my birthday. What are we going to do when we get old? Amen, preacher. Your pride is going to require that you say, this life is not about the accumulation of possessions or the security or the prestige that brings. This is about God. This is about the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this. 
if Christ looked at an unsaved man and said, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and it shook up his day. Well, pastor, you're going to tell us to sell what we have and bring it to church for the offering tonight. No, I'm going to ask you this. Is there something you wouldn't give up for God's sake or God's glory or God's kingdom that you have an idol on the throne of your heart? You need to check your heart.